name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, Rez. So good to be with you this morning. My name is Father Ryan. Uh, welcome, especially if you're new, welcome uh, to Rez this morning. We are winding down this long season of ordinary time together. This season marked by ordinary discipleship, growing together as we follow Jesus together. Ordinary time started all the way back in May, and so for some of you who are new to the church, this is all you've ever known about Res, is ordinary time, this season. You've yet to experience Advent and Christmas and Epiphany, Lent, Easter. We're about to embark on that liturgical year journey that comes up in a couple of weeks here. I'm excited for you. Uh, as we dive into the good news, uh, the story of Jesus' incarnation, his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. It's that time of year, if you're not familiar with this tradition, a lot of my friends and colleagues will start to ask the question, is it happening yet? This is like we're getting excited about this season coming up here. But we're not quite done with Ordinary Time yet, and we're not quite done with our sermon series that we've been going through for the past couple of weeks. They gave themselves first to the Lord. Sean has been sharing with us these past three weeks in Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church, and specifically in this section in the letter where Paul is taking up a collection for the church in Jerusalem, the mother church, as it was uh, often called to and referred to. And from this section of Paul's letter, we can glean something of a theology of generosity and giving for our time. There's something that we can learn about living into our own faith as we listen into this conversation with Paul in the Corinthian church. Uh, this week, we're focusing our attention on the last section of this, this part of Paul's letter, where he talks about this collection for the church in Jerusalem. It's uh, chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. We just heard it read earlier. This is where Paul wraps up this conversation, and he gives his final words to the Corinthian church. So today, I just want to highlight a few of these, these things as it relates to what we've already uh, talked about in the previous weeks, and then just offer up a bit of a wrap-up uh, to this series on giving. Uh, the first thing I want to highlight in 2 Corinthians today is this interplay, I don't know if you've noticed this or not over the last couple of weeks, but there's this interplay between grace, generosity, and thanksgiving. Father Sean preached on this in week one. But Paul comes back to it here in, in this passage in chapter 9. He says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous, which through us will produce thanksgiving. Do you hear that? You will be enriched. In another way you could say that is, you will receive grace to be generous, to be able to give. And through that, we will be able to offer up thanksgiving to the Lord. Paul keeps on keeping on about grace and its effects in our lives. And as he's doing this, he reveals a certain logic, I think, uh, in this passage. Grace produces generosity, which produces thanksgiving. Grace, generosity, thanksgiving. Grace begets grace. Generosity begin, begets generosity. And it becomes this cycle, this logical cycle. Because of the gospel of Jesus, this inexpressible gift we have received we have been given everything that we need to live out this kingdom logic logic of grace, generosity, and thanksgiving. 
as our Bishop Todd often says, uh, when we are recipients of this grace, we are always safe in the kingdom of God. So we're always safe in the kingdom of God as recipients of His grace in our lives. Can we say the same thing about the kingdom of wealth and money? Are we always safe? Can we say the same thing about our pursuits for money and, the, and possessions and the things of our life? Can we say the same thing? Are we always safe? Jesus seems to anticipate this question in our gospel reading for this morning. If you heard it from Matthew, he says, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Our posture towards our wealth, our money, the gifts that we have to give, our posture towards these things in our life can actually be transformed in light of the kingdom of God. This is what Paul is getting after here. We shouldn't give if our posture is a reluctant one. We shouldn't give our gifts out of guilt or shame. This isn't the logic of the kingdom here, of grace, generosity, and thanksgiving. We give because of the grace that marks our lives as ones who, as Father Sean said in week one, are in the care of God, safe in the kingdom, and led by His Spirit. If we're honest, though, we're all familiar with this reluctance that Paul is talking about here to the Corinthian church. This reluctance to give. Generosity is hard to come by in our world, isn't it? And behind this reluctance in this passage about giving, and even in our gospel reading for today, this, behind this anxiety that Jesus is talking about is this longing for and this need for security and safety in our world. We all know this, this need, this desire to be safe and secure. When it comes to money, we are wired. There's a story that's being told in our world that we need to build grain silos and accumulate and hoard and, and get more and more stuff to keep ourselves safe and secure. And what ends up happening is that our first instinct when it comes to money and wealth, I don't know if this is true for you or not, but it's certainly true for me. When it comes, like my first instinct is inward, right? To, to turn ourselves inward, to, to think of ourselves first, to, to find that safety and security. There's a theological way of talking about this reality, uh, and I'm taking this from St. Augustine and Martin Luther and some others. There's a Latin term, and I think I've probably said this before, so you, you might have heard this before from me. The Latin term is incurvatus in se. Incurvatus in se. Humanity turned inward on itself. Men women literally curved inward. Martin Luther talks about the, the, how our nature, because of sin, is so curved in on itself that it bends the best gifts of God, the best gifts of God towards itself. This is the script of the world, particularly in our own country where we, we have wealth, right? And so when it comes to giving or generosity, we struggle I struggle. 
I was thinking about this this week this, as I was reading this Matthew 6 uh, passage for today about not being anxious about today, about what, we're, what we'll eat, what we'll drink, what we'll wear, about money and wealth. Not being anxious about these things. This, is, this probably needs to be my life first. I don't know if I really actually have a life first. You know how people will pick a life first that's kind of sweet or sentimental in the scriptures? I actually think this is probably the life first we all need in America. Do not be anxious. That's how much there's a, th- th- this pull of money and wealth can be for me. I don't know if that rings true for you. Sometimes it, it goes so far as like, even as we think about our giving, we think about it in selfish terms like tax write-offs when we give offerings or give money away. We think about it just even in selfish ways. But Paul is inviting us here to adopt a new posture towards our money and our wealth in light of the kingdom of God breaking into the world. And it's a really simple shift in our posture. Giving is about sowing. Verse 6 in chapter 9, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. For Paul, a different logic applies to giving in light of Jesus. We don't operate in a zero-sum economy in his kingdom. Yours and my giving is not something that is ultimately about you or me. And that is a good thing. It's about the kingdom. In 2 Corinthians, it is about the needs of the saints in Jerusalem. The kingdom work that is happening in Jerusalem there. That's what it's about. That's what the giving is about for Paul to the second Corinthians. So often we see this verse about sowing sparingly and, and bountifully. We, we see it in kind of in a certain light, but I think we miss something that's really subtle going on here. We miss the, idea, the, the reality of sowing, what sowing is all about. Sowing is about planting a seed that will grow over a long period of time that you and I may never personally benefit from. Sowing is a long process. Deacon Stephen knows what I'm talking about. Sewing is not the kind of work that's, that's, you know, you get an immediate gain from your gifts. It's, it's actually, you may never see it. You, know, you may never see the, the product of your work, of your gift. And, for, and sewing for Paul, this is the kind of logic that he has for this kind of work in the kingdom. Giving first to the Lord helps us to open our eyes to the actual mission of God in the world and the needs that reside there that have nothing to do with us. It's about the kingdom. Sacrificial giving can be a posture and a practice that is personal. That is, there is some benefit, right? Like when we sacrifice, when we take on the practice of sacrificial giving, there is something that is formed in us and through us as we align our desires to God. Yes, It is a personal, and there's a benefit there, of course. But more importantly, giving generosity is a posture and practice of solidarity with God's mission in the world. As we seek to align ourselves with Jesus in this way, what happens? Our posture changes. Where once we were turned in on ourselves, this in curvatus, in say, kind of posture, now as we lay hold of the grace of God in we are turned outward to the world and its needs. This is the progression, the logic of 2 Corinthians 9. 
And this is why Paul proclaims, God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Or as Eugene Peter translates it, God loves when the giver delights in the giving. Paul is getting after this shift in posture that comes with, when the gospel, with the gospel. We turn ourselves away from this kind of internal gaze, I guess you could call it. Away from humanity turning in on itself where reluctance and compulsion reign and towards and outwards towards this community that is ready to give abundantly and generously when the needs of the kingdom arise. Paul could have easily said here, God loves a giver who is turned outward to the world. It has everything to do with our posture. As I was preparing this week, I was reminded of a time back like 10 years ago when I was a youth pastor at this non-denominational church in Milwaukee. And I was speaking to a group of 70 or 80 kids and, and I was talking about worship. I was talking about this topic of worship and how our posture is so critical to how we worship God. And so uh, as, as I was doing this, um, I, I kind of did a case study with them. So there's 70, 80 kids. We're all kind of sitting like you guys are right now. And I, I first asked them to all like slouch as much as they possibly could in their chairs. So like some of them decided to like lay on the ground, but they're all slouched over and, and we sang the doxology together as they were all like kind of slouched and hunched over. And then I like, so we sang the doxology then, and then uh, we went back around and I asked them to kind of stay seated, but sit up in their chairs. Yeah, just kind of sit up uh, and we sang the doxology together. And then Third round, I had them all stand and just kind of stand there. And we did the same thing. We, we sang the doxology once, once again. And then for the last kind of iteration of this, I invited them all to raise their hands. Even if, Some of them weren't very com- comfortable with this, of course, but had them all raise their hands as high as they could and invited them to, to sing the doxology together. I don't need to tell you the difference that posture makes in our worship. God loves a cheerful giver, not someone who is slouched over and reluctant to participate, but a giver whose arms are held out to God and to the world. Our posture is critical. Whether we're talking about worship or prayer or giving or any other spiritual discipline, Jesus invites us to change, to transform our posture from turning in on ourselves and our needs and our wants and our desires outwards to the kingdom. This is the whole reason why we're doing this pledge drive here at Res right now during this, this season, because it helps us to pay attention to our posture. How do we, how, how is our posture oriented to, to God and his kingdom as we think about giving? This pledge drive isn't about compelling people or, or guilting people into giving money. To res, but to pay attention to the ways God has been gracious to us in this season and to align ourselves with Jesus and his kingdom with our money and wealth. As Paul says in this passage, God is able to make all grace abound to you. One of my absolute favorite things about res, this community, is how we are a generous people. As I've gotten to know all of you over the past two years of being here, One thing I can say 
is that if Father Sean's done anything right at all, anything right, maybe one thing, one thing, just kidding, he continues to call us back to our original vision at Res, life together in the goodness of God. And I, and I read this as that we are recipients of the goodness and generosity of God. We've been welcomed into this life together, and we seek, however imperfectly, how to live in light of this abounding grace in our lives. That marks our community. If you consider Res your home, even if you're not a member yet, we invite you actually to take on this spiritual discipline of pledging with us. Today we are finishing up this pledge drive, uh, so you still have time uh, to consider this. Uh, and even if you're, if you're new to Res, you're just visiting today, we invite you to, to prayerfully ask yourself some of these questions. I've got a few questions I want to just lay out there, and I want you all to discern together uh, today. So the first question is this, what is my pressure towards God and his kingdom today? What is my posture? Is it slouched? Is it maybe seated, maybe wanting to stand, but not, you're not quite there yet? Maybe it's your arms are raised and you're turning towards to the world. What is my posture towards the love and grace of Jesus that marks my life? That's the second question. What is my posture towards my money, my wealth? Are you turned in on yourself? Are you reluctant? And last question, how is Jesus inviting you and I to turn ourselves outward today to find life and joy and peace in his kingdom? as we take time to consider these questions, to discern them together as a community, I want to end with a prayer uh, that comes from our evening prayer liturgy. The Fosileron, I don't know if you've prayed this or not before, but uh, the Fosileron can be translated as, O cheerful light, O gladsome light. It's a great prayer to, to, to be, be reminded of the grace and generosity of God in our lives. So let's pray this together as we close. O gladsome light, pure brightness of the ever-living Father in heaven, O Jesus Christ, holy and blessed, now as we come to the setting of the sun and our eyes behold the vesper light, we sing your praises, O God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're worthy at all times to be praised by happy, by cheerful voices. O Son of God, O giver of life, to be glorified through all the worlds. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.